At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is the look ahead with Scott Seidenberg on VSIN, the sports betting network. Coming to you from the Circus Sportsbook here in downtown Las Vegas, I'm Scott Seidenberg. This is the look ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network you can always follow along on twitter at scott's on air s-c-o-t-t-s-o-n-a-i-r or all of us on the network at vcin live game one of the stanley cup final is in the books with the colorado avalanche winning and holding serve on home ice in overtime by a 4-3 score so all of us that were on the under six in this game were completely mistaken. That's not to say that Andre Vasilevsky wasn't pretty good in this game. Vasilevsky stops 34 shots. The only problem was Colorado shot 38 times. In the first period, it looked like Colorado's speed was just too much for Tampa Bay as they jumped out to a 3-1 lead. And after it was 2-0, I started to get worried for Tampa. It just seemed like Colorado. And yeah, we talked about the potential of them being rusty off of the layoff and starting out slow and this being a feeling out process in the first period. It was quite the opposite. And Vasilevsky looked vulnerable in that first period. Tampa gets a Nicholas Paul goal to make it 2-1. But then when Lekkonen scores to make it 3-1 on the power play, a five-on-three power play, mind you, it was uh, a little nerve-wracking going into the intermission. I tweeted out a funny gif from uh, Billy Madison when he blows the flute during the talent portion of the academic decathlon. And his only response to Eric, who beautifully played his instrument, He said, he's good. And that was it. That was my feeling. That Tampa Bay ran into the best team in the NHL. And after the first period, realized, Colorado's good. But then, Tampa Bay figured something out. Like champions do, they responded. John Cooper, who is a future Hall of Fame coach, uh, clearly made some adjustments in during the first intermission, and Tampa essentially shrunk the ice in that second period. They made it difficult for Colorado to get out and skate, and they responded with two goals in you know back to back in quick succession 
and made it a 3-3 game. Neither team scored in the third period. We went into overtime, and just a minute 23 into the overtime, it was Burakovsky who got the game winner for the Avalanche. So 4-3 is your final score. Colorado takes a one-game-to-none series lead, and now the odds completely change for this series. Looking at the DraftKings Sportsbook right now, at the series prices, which keep in mind, Colorado was a big favorite going into the series. Tampa Bay was about uh, plus 150 on the comeback. Now, Colorado is minus 285, and the Lightning are plus 240. I don't think that the Lightning are out of this series. I really don't. I think all I felt that they needed was just a split in Colorado, and they could still earn that split in Colorado. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens if they do win game number two. Because then you start to think about what the odds are going to be because Tampa would have home ice after that. So the correct score, let's predict, let's let's see it right now. Uh, Colorado to win in six is the favorite. That's at plus 380. Then you have Colorado to win in five plus, oh, actually, no, Colorado to win in five is the favorite, plus 300. Then Colorado to win in six plus 380. Colorado in seven plus 450. A Colorado sweep is plus 475. For Tampa to win this series, Tampa in seven plus 650. Tampa in six plus 800. And Tampa in five plus 1800. Man, this is starting to get juicy now. I think if you like Tampa, maybe a Tampa in six at eight to one. Uh, these become attractive little fun bets that you can sprinkle on. Uh, curious to see what the odds for the Con Smythe are going to be after tonight. Haven't seen any updated odds just yet. So when we get them, I'll get those to you guys and see what the updated odds. Let's check one more site here as we bounce around to our different sports books and see if we can pick up a Con Smythe. The favorites were going into this series, both Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche. And in fact, they are still the favorites now at plus 140 each. In this game, uh, taking a look at the box score for both players, uh, let's see. McKinnon had one assist. And he had five shots. He was a plus one. And for Kale McCarr, he had no points and no shots. So that's it. Uh, and then Nikita Kucherov and Andre Vasilevsky, who were about plus 400 or so going into this series, are now sitting here at six to one to win the Con Smythe. Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog are at 10 to one. Uh, uh, Valerie Nishuskin is at 75 to one. This is a guy who has done a lot of scoring for the Colorado Avalanche. And uh, it's, it's crazy to see him at such long odds. He had a goal and an assist. So if there was ever a dark horse candidate on the Colorado Avalanche, it would be Nishuskin. Uh, looking at his la latest couple of game logs, um, he had two goals in uh, the series against Edmonton. Um, against St. Louis, had a goal, but he had a bunch of assists. And against Nashville, had two goals and an assist. Uh, here, a goal and an assist in game one here of the Stanley Cup final. Going into this series, 
I felt that the best bet for the Tampa Bay Lightning was Andre Vasilevsky to win the Conn Smythe. And the reason why I felt that is because, well, he's been great throughout these playoffs. Reminder, it's not just the best player in the Stanley Cup final. It's the player most valuable to their team during the entire playoffs. And Vasilevsky has had a great playoffs, especially the, the four-game sweep of Florida was darn impressive. And then the four consecutive wins against the Rangers to close out that series was impressive as well. And so thinking about if Tampa were to win this series, well, they would need Vasilevsky to stand on his head. He had 34 saves here in game one. And if they win this series and he keeps Colorado out of the net, yes, he's going to have a very good chance to win this award. But talking to a couple of people that are actually at the games covering uh, the final and will be voting for this award, my opinion has changed a little bit. I'm starting to think that Nikita Kucherov could be live to win this award. If, again, this is only if Tampa wins. And right now, it ain't looking good because they're down one game to none. But the series is far from over. This is going to be a great series. Nikita Kucherov is racking up the points, not just in this postseason, but in the past three postseasons. Taking a look at his game logs, he had an he had what do you have? He had an assist here in this game, right? Let me double check that. He had just an assist. All right, so that's one point in this game. That's game one of the Stanley Cup final. And then he had an assist against the Rangers in uh, game six, an assist in game five, a goal in game four, a goal and two assists in game three, a goal and an assist in game two. Going back to the Florida series, a goal and three assists in game three, an assist in game two, a goal and an assist in game one. And then in the Toronto series, a goal in game six, two assists in game five, two assists in game four, a goal and two assists in game number two. He's got 25 points right now in these playoffs. And I saw a stat that Kucherov has uh, more playoff points in the last, like, three seasons than, like, anybody has had in a postseason run. So this was interesting here. This was uh, an article written, I guess, back June 1st, so 14 days ago. And he is on pace. Here we go. Um, He is on pace to be amongst the top points scorers in postseason history. He's 59 points away. And that was as of two weeks ago, so he's much less than that. He might be like 50 points away from being top five all time in playoff points and the only player in the top 13 that's active. Oh, the, only, like, the only player that um, right now, Sidney Crosby is fifth. He's the only player that's active. He's in a tie with Yarmir Yager uh, as far as playoff points are concerned. And in thinking about Kucherov, 
if the Lightning win the Stanley Cup this year, this could be almost like a, a lifetime achievement award trophy. I know it's hard to say that for a young guy, but. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This could be like, hey, we're acknowledging what you did two years ago. We're acknowledging what you did last year. We gave the award to Victor Hedman the first title. We gave the award to Vasilevsky the second title. We're going to spread the love and give the award to you now for the three-peat. So if Tampa wins, I'm starting to think Kucherov is really live to win this award. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at Scott's on Air. Darren Banks, Banksy, will give us his thoughts on the Stanley Cup final coming up. This is The Look Ahead here on v the Sports Betting Network. This is The Look Ahead on v the Sports Betting Network. This segment of The Look Ahead is brought to you by Zen Nicotine Pouches, a fresh way to enjoy nicotine without all the baggage of cigarettes, dip, or vape. Zen Nicotine Pouches are smoke-free, spit-free, and available in 10 varieties, and they come in two strengths so you can easily find the satisfaction level that's perfect for you. Zen, America's number one nicotine pouch, is available in over 100,000 locations nationwide. Visit Zinn.com slash find to locate a store near you. That's ZYN.com slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Back here on The Look Ahead, I'm Scott Seidenberg, joined in studio by former NHL veteran Darren Banks. Banksy, as you know him here at the Circa. And game one of the Stanley Cup final goes to the Colorado Avalanche 4-3 in overtime, Banksy. And after that first period, I thought this was going to be a blowout because Colorado looked like just a buzzsaw in that first period. Yeah, I mean, they were flying around that rink and things were going in. They're killing penalties, and I'm like, okay, this might be one of those games where they win 5-1. to one. Um, And But, you know, thank God for Tampa Bay. I mean, they battled back, but not enough at the end. It didn't seem like the layoff affected Colorado at all. I, listen, I was on the under in this game because I thought Colorado, with all this time off and with Vasilevsky playing great, they, they'd come in, they'd maybe the first period would be a feeling-out process, but they came out flying. And I just – Tampa's probably hasn't seen a team this fast. No, not at all. And I think they relied a lot on their goaltending, making big saves for them. But Colorado came out and – the layoff, I mean, it's not a big deal. I mean, people are going to go, oh, yeah, nine days off. Well, it's 
you know what? Those first two days, they probably were told, don't come to the arena mm. unless you're injured. You only come here to the rink. Uh, and then you slowly amp them up. And then maybe four or five days beforehand, you have one of the craziest practice ever, but not long, 40, 50 minutes. But you have real intense one-on-one battles. Nothing that guys will get hurt or anything, but guys where they're working hard, you know, for 20, 30 seconds. And you have those kind of upbeat practices to get ready. I mean, I've been in a playoffs, and mine happened mine happen to happen between game three and game or game two and game three, and we had nine days off because an arena was all messed up. Oh wow! And so it's I know what that feels like where you have to you're like I don't most of the guys don't have a problem with it. It's like okay, we get a little more rest and mm-hmm. let's you know let's take it easy and have those days off. But then when it's time to pick it up, you get it's everyone's. Got to be on the same page, and let's get her going. You know, it's amazing. I, 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 was, I was talking to a couple of people, and I asked the same question. Can you ever remember a time where you had a Stanley Cup favorite going into game one and not knowing who their goaltender was going to be? I mean, we didn't know if it was going to be uh, Darcy Kemper or Frankie in net. It winds up being Kemper, and he played pretty well, I thought, after, you know, missing some time. Yeah, I, I didn't know, you know, and it's – I think it's a question mark with them and their goaltending to, to start off with. Who was going to be their number one this year? Uh, when Grubar took off and went in free agency, mm-hmm. that probably threw a monkey in their wrench, not knowing who was going to be the goalie this year. So I think they were fortunate that they had two good goaltenders and they could rely on both of them and not really worried about who they had to start. What did Tampa do in that second period that changed the game in your mind? Like, Because to me, it seemed like Colorado wasn't able to skate as freely as they were, what did they specifically do? Clog neutral zone or something? Or? No, what I noticed is they were letting those players like Kucherov, giving them space, and you can't give that guy space. And he showed you why you can't. You know, if you give him space, he's going to make things happen. Uh, the checking got a little loose, I, I thought, on Colorado. And they were making turnovers in their own zone, mm. which they weren't doing earlier. You know, get the puck. Get it out of your zone. Once you get out of your zone, get over the red line then you can maybe turn a puck over. Just make sure there's not odd man rushes coming back the other way. Yeah, so Tampa does a good job, and then the third period was a battle, but uh, Colorado quickly into overtime gets the win. Uh, do you think Tampa bounces back in game two? And if they don't, how far does this series go? I think they're going to put their best foot forward, but still, I they're still playing Colorado Avalanche, and I'm still leaning on Colorado winning that game. But I don't think Colorado can go to Tampa and win two games there. Not mm. two. You might win one, but I don't think you can win two there. They're not, you know, this isn't the 14th place team in the league. They know what it's like. They've been there. Um, they're, you know, right now they're trying to steal a game in Colorado. And then Colorado's going to do the same thing. Let's steal one in Tampa Bay. Um, so if Colorado wins, and I've said this with the other guys that do the other shows here, I think Colorado wins in six. Okay. Colorado win six. That that seems fair. I I, th- I picked Tampa before the series, but part of that was just trying to look at a good plus money grab, and I wasn't going to take Tampa on the series price. I was going to look at the Con Smythe Award and look at Andre Vasilevsky before the series. You could have got him at maybe plus four fifty, and I felt that with his performance, because people tend to forget it's the MVP of the playoffs, not just the final. With his performance against Florida, his performance in the final four wins against the Rangers, and what they would need to win this series, which they would need him to stand on his head, that he would win this award. Uh, but then I started to think he won it last year. 
and this would be their third title in a row, which is darn right impressive, maybe the writers would spread the love a bit. Victor Hedman got it in year one. It was Vazzy last year. Maybe Nikita Kucherov would be the guy for the Lightning if they win this year. I'll agree with you that way. The only way I disagree is if Tampa starts shutting these teams out yeah, and they, they win, win, yeah, two nothing. Then game, you got to yeah. go back to goaltending. I mean, I say it a million times, and I'll say it till I'm blue in the face: goaltending wins your Stanley Cups. And if your goalie's not playing well, you're not winning. So if he plays unbelievable the rest of the way, and then Tampa Bay mm-hmm. ends up winning, then I'm still gonna. I, I like Kucherov. I think he's a great pick. The guy's played unbelievable this year. Um, but I still would have to lean towards a goalie. Yeah. And you might lean the other way with the Colorado, except for Kemper missed all those games. Yeah. And I'd have to lean towards McCarr. But let's see how the play, the you know this finals plays out. Yeah, right now the two favorites are Kale McCarr and uh, Nathan McKinnon. And so I wouldn't think it would be either of those guys. If you had to pick between both of those, who would you choose? McCarr. Just because of the impact on D? He, he does everything. He yeah. doesn't make too many mistakes back there. <clears throat> McKinnon, I wasn't happy with him today. Uh, I was not the McKinnon I know. He's passing the puck a little bit too much. Mm. I want him shooting the puck more. I mean, the guy's fast, but he stick handles like crazy. And I'm like, to shoot the puck, I mean, things can happen. He was looking for open passes, and they got blocked a lot today. You know what's so impressive about Colorado is the way that they have built this team through the draft. I mean, all these guys were top 10 picks, right? Well, McKinnon was the number one overall pick, but McCarr was like the fourth overall pick. I think Landeskog was a top 10 pick. Uh, Miko Rantanen, all these guys were top 10 picks. I guess, you know, listen, if you're you're bad for a while, <laughs> then you have to hit on it. But, um, I mean, Joe Sackick, what a job that he has done becoming yeah. a general manager, huh? Joe's done a great job. And guys, like, they pick up uh, Josh, uh, the defenseman. Oh, Johnson? Uh, Manson. Oh, Manson, Manson, Manson. Kids yeah, played yeah, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, he's played big. And for another team in the NHL not to get him mm. and during the trade deadline for Colorado to grab this guy and him make the impact and the ice time that he gets and how much he'll physically is back there. Uh, Darren Helm. <laughs> Darren Helm's at the end of his career, but he can mm-hmm. still skate and make things happen. And they're making that their fourth line play like a second line in some teams. And this Nashuskin kid, man, he is impressive. Yeah. He's coming into his own. He's only like 27 years old or something like that. He's he's certainly impressive. I think he's scored a goal and an assist here tonight for Colorado. So uh, definitely Tampa, an uphill battle. Um, looking at the Lightning, though, the championship pedigree, right? The experience. They've been here before. There's only, I think, two players on that team that have not won a cup before, and they were you know, players that they brought in, obviously, this season. So I love the way they responded after the first intermission. I think we see a response here in game two. I don't, you know, prices at the prices minus 150 Colorado plus 130 Tampa in game number two. Uh, I, I kind of don't hate taking Tampa. I don't hate it either. I mean, but I still, Colorado, these young kids, they, especially when they haven't been there, they, they're, they're going to make their own path and they're not going <laughs> to go, well, those guys are the champions. I, get, I know Jared, Jared Bednar. Good buddy of mine, and I talked to him before the you know this series even started, and it's uh, can't worry about what this team's done in the past. Mm. It's uh, this is a team you think they've been thinking they're the team all year. Let's prove it, and let's not worry about that they're Stanley Cup champs. They're just another team we have to play to get that holy grail. Well, they Colorado they 
been one of the top teams the past three, four seasons. They've just never been able to get over the hump. They finally got past the second round and are in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, let me ask you one final question about the total of goals. Six was the total in this game. It goes over. Same thing for game two. Does it go over or under? I think it goes under. Under? Just tighter defense? Tighter defense. And the only thing is, I mean, the penalty kill, Colorado doesn't take a lot of penalties. Mm-hmm. And the penalty I did see, you know, the one I seen with Manson, I didn't think was a penalty. And then they were makeup calls later on. So uh, I don't think there'll be as many penalty, penalties tomorrow or in the next game. Uh, and I think the referees will kind of hold their whistles in their pocket. You got to let guys play. And, you know, they're playing for everything they got. So mm-hmm. let them play. What a great game, though. And the Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup playoffs as a whole have just been just an incredible watch. I've yeah. been so happy with it all. Well, we've, we're always happy to talk to Banksy. Darren Banks, former NHL vet. Always appreciate the time, brother. Thank Thanks you so much, much, man. I'm Scott Sadenberg. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. This is The Look Ahead on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. If you're looking for more sports betting discussion around your local teams, Bet Rivers has you covered. Bet Rivers has launched a series of CityCasts designed to tackle sports betting from the local perspective. There are CityCasts in Chicago, Denver, Detroit, LA, New York, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Washington, D.C. Subscribe to your local CityCast wherever you get your podcasts. Scott Sadenberg back here with you. This is the look ahead here on VCND. Sports betting network coming up about 15 minutes or so from now. Jason Logan from Covers is going to join us as we'll get into uh, game number uh, six here of the NBA Finals uh, taking place on Thursday night. The Warriors lead now three games to two. Boston is a four point favorite. The total has uh, been pushed down to 210 in this game. So we'll get into the NBA Finals game six coming up. About 15 minutes or so from now. And Major League Baseball here on Wednesday for the second night in a row, we had a no-hitter in the ninth inning. Two nights ago, it was Miles Michaelis of the Cardinals who took a no-hitter into the ninth inning. And with two outs and two strikes on the batter, gave up the first hit of the game. Well, tonight... In Los Angeles, the freeway series, Dodgers and the Angels, it was Tyler Anderson, the Las Vegas native, who uh, took a no-hitter into the ninth inning, got Mike Trout on a strikeout looking before Shohei Otani laced a uh, triple to right field and you know it's funny well it's not funny I feel bad for the kid pitched great he was at 100 and what like 117 pitches going into the uh, ninth inning and there were a lot of questions about whether Dave Roberts was going to leave him in or not he finishes with 123 pitches in this game does allow the one run because uh, Otani wound up scoring after Craig Kimbrell came into the game I still contend like there's got to be a stat here for like inherited I know they keep track of this stuff with like inherited runners or whatever but I just hate that that runner gets charged to uh Anderson you know it's not like he scored while he was in the game but it, it, listen this is a something that's been going on for 100 years uh anyway um Mike Trout struck out looking in the 
top of the ninth inning. And it just seemed like, seemed like Trout just kind of like, I don't know, tipped his cap a little bit. Like he just said, I'm going to let you have this moment. Like, yeah, because the pitch was, it was a cookie. It was a cookie right down the middle, and Trout just took it. Otani, on the other hand, I look at him, and I'm thinking, he's not. He's not going to just give in to this kid and and say, hey, tip your cap, great game, you got a no-hitter, congratulations. No, Otani's going up there thinking every at-bat is like, you know, mechanical. Like, hey, this is, I'm up here to hit. And on the first pitch, just drills a triple to right field. By the way, I would have shifted, like, everybody for that last at bat. I would have put three outfielders in right field and three infielders on the right side. I would have just had a massive overshift and just dared Otani to lay a bunt down to the left side and just said, all right, you know, we're going to, I'm going to prevent a no hitter here. You know, like, I, I want to keep this no-hitter, so if you hit the ball and you pull it, it's going to be an out, uh, and I'm just going to jam him inside with fastballs. And if I walk him, I walk him. And if he pulls a ball, he's going to pull a ball right into all of my defense. That's That would have been my strategy. But, okay. And then uh, Kimbrell comes in, Duffy gets a single, and Otani scores. So 4-1, the Dodgers win that game. In case you're wondering, and uh, I'm sure many of you are, probably not. Uh, we lost our play of the day here uh, with the Rays in the first five innings. Shane McClanahan going up against Nestor Cortez for the Yankees. Uh, McClanahan in the very first inning, and I know our very own Jason Weingarten was very happy about this because he took a big plus money price on, yes, will there be a run scored in the first inning. Aaron Judge hits a home run to right field off of a two-strike hanging curveball. Prior to that home run, Hitters off of Shane McClanahan's curveball were batting 143. They were 11 for 77 off of that pitch. And Aaron Judge just fists it out to right field. The ball was only a home run in Yankee Stadium. An exit below of 104.1 miles per hour, launch angle of 24 degrees, projected distance of 364, and where it was hit, would have been a home run at Yankee Stadium and nowhere else. No other ballpark in Major League Baseball would that have been a home run. So uh, McClanahan, that was the only run he gave up until the bottom of the fifth where a dropped fly ball leads to a base runner. So a dropped fly ball. And I don't know if it was miscommunication in the outfield, but Josh Donaldson hits a deep fly ball that's an easy out. And um, Brett Phillips, who came into the game as an injury replacement for Kevin Kiermeyer, must have had a miscommunication and, um, you know, drops the ball. So Glaber Torres then flies out. Josh Donaldson goes from second to third. Aaron Hicks strikes out. So there's a runner on third with two outs. And they intentionally walk Isaiah Kaina-Falefer 
and then Kyle Higashioka hits a three-run shot to left field. Now, all three runs were unearned, so McClanahan didn't get charged with any of them. So he finishes the day. His box score still looks pretty good uh, with um, six innings pitched, only three hits and one earned run and seven strikeouts. This dude is just on another level right now. But the Yankees had a 4-0 lead after five innings. Nestor Cortez, meanwhile, five and a third innings. He also allowed only three hits, and he allowed one run with just four strikeouts. So pitcher's duel in uh, the Bronx. The game does go under with a 4-3 final. So uh, I think it was 7.5 was the uh, total for this game. So Or actually 7, so it was a push. On the total, the first five total of three and a half, though, goes over because of those unfortunate circumstances that we that I just talked about there in the uh, bottom of the fifth inning. Elsewhere, you had the Brewers just beating up on the Mets 10 to 2. Combine that with the Atlanta Braves winning their 14th straight game. And now the Braves trail the Mets by just four games in the National League East. And you might have to start thinking about this if you're the Mets. You've been the best team in the National League. You still have the best record in the National League. You have been surviving. With all these injuries, no Jacob DeGrom, losing Max Scherzer. You missed Pete Alonso for a few games. You, you missed Lindor for a couple of games. Tyler McGill out for a couple of games. Yes, the goal all along was to just stay afloat. Like the Mets are exceeding expectations right now. Because the goal all along was to just stay afloat until the reinforcements come back, right? When you get the Grom, when you get Scherzer back, now your rotation is elite. And you can start to make your postseason push with the team that you envisioned having at the beginning of the season. So staying afloat is different than dominating. And what the Mets have done is defied expectations by dominating. And they're doing it with soft contact. They're doing it without scoring you know, a ton of runs. Um, I mean, they're scoring a ton of runs, but they're not doing it like with the incredible home runs. I mean, Alonzo's hitting some home runs, but it's not like they're the Yankees who are hitting a ton of home runs or even the, the, the Padres who in Chicago are just hitting the ball all over the place. But anyway, the Mets with a plus 62 run differential. Still in first place. But the Braves now, with 14 straight wins, are right up on their heels. And if the Mets drop a couple of games here, and they're 6-4 and four in their last 10 games now, um, and with the loss here to, uh, to the Brewers, we'll see what happens the rest of this series. The Braves keep winning. <laughs> Come the All-Star break, the Mets might not be in first place. So this National League East is going to get really, really interesting. Let's get into the NBA Finals coming up next. Jason Logan from Covers will break down Game 6 for us. 
I'm Scott Sadenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at ScottsOnAir. This is The Look Ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. This is The Look Ahead on VSIN, the sports betting network. Heat up your lineup with the FootJoy Tee-Off Challenge. Join two free fantasy golf contests to compete for your share of $10,000 in total cash prizes while the world's best golfers tee off. Head to DraftKings.com FootJoy now to join the action. FootJoy, the number one shoe and glove in golf. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Scott Sadenberg back here with you. This is the look ahead here on VSIN, the sports betting network. Let's get into NBA Finals. Game six coming up here on Thursday night from Boston as we welcome in Jason Logan from Covers. And Jason, before we get into game six, just looking back at the game five win for Golden State, do you think Boston's sitting there and kind of kicking themselves a bit for not being able at bed 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every home run every hit every inning every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bed 365 21 plus only must be present in ohio if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Able to win a game in which Steph Curry only had 16 points and was 0 of 9 from three point range? Uh, yeah, it's one of those things. I mean, it, it was kind of a testament to me. It was more a testament of how great this Golden State team is and how versatile this, this Golden State team is. I think you and I talked heading into the series. And I like the Warriors because they just have so many different ways to win basketball games. And that was on full display. Curry struggling. They played a really aggressive off the screens. They got their heels above the three-point line. Uh, picked him up the second he came over half. And really just kind of took any offensive flow away from Curry. But it opened up everything else. I thought in the second half of that game, the Golden State offense kind of looked like the Golden State offense for the first time in this series. Boston was doing a pretty good job disrupting the interior getting a hand in passing lanes and stuff like that. And then the credit to the Golden State defense. I mean, they, they played fantastic. They continued to generate points off turnovers, not really giving away too much inside. We saw, I said to the guys at covers, I said, they're kind of morphing Boston into Dallas where they're becoming this live by the three, die by the three team. Because over the last two games, they've shot just 42% from two-point range, but are hitting 41% from three-point range on the series. And you look at Jason Tatum, his production from beyond the arc has been fantastic. But he's shooting less than 31% from two-point range. So um, 
Yeah, I think credit more credit goes to Golden State for kind of just finding ways to win than maybe Boston letting them off the hook. So what's your feeling now going into Game 6? We know how great Boston has been going back to January after a loss. This is the first time they've lost two consecutive games in the last six months or so. And now they're in a situation where they could potentially lose three straight or defend home court and send this thing back to San Francisco for a Game 7. Yeah, I mean, one the one thing that they have to do is show up on offense. That's something that they haven't had consistent offense over those last two games. They've had those kind of scoring brownouts where they just don't show up and, and, and get run off the floor by Golden State. Um, but really, I mean, uh, it's I do like – I have played Golden State plus four in this game just because, like I said, they can win in multi-different ways. This is a two-possession spread. I could fully see Boston winning this game and toughing it out. Um, but I just kind of like the way that Golden State is is making them have some kind of hard choices. I think Boston's best approach is to go back to letting Curry possibly have a green light, and maybe they don't shoot as well on the road, rather than letting the entire Warriors team get in rhythm and beat them and get going like they did in that last game. Yeah, that's exactly my thoughts, because I felt that the first two wins were Steph Curry wins, and the third win was a Warriors win. And for the first time, I felt it was a Warriors team victory. So if I'm Boston, I'm letting Curry go off and just not letting Andrew Wiggins and and Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole beat me uh, in this game. What else do the Celtics have to do in order to come away victorious in this game? You've got to start strong. You can't have another slow outing like you had and put yourself behind the eight ball against this team. Um, they were terrible in that first quarter. You know, we're able to claw back, but really you can't play from behind against this team that's just so deep and can go so deep into their bench. Um, and and you've got to hit you've got to hit those buckets. You can't just rely on on three pointers. You gotta get inside, you gotta score at the hoop, you gotta get these guys into foul trouble. That's one thing that I noticed with the series was the referees really putting the whistle in their pocket, letting these teams battle for the most part, a lot of like contact at the rim. We did see more foul calls in Game 5, more points being scored from the foul line in Game 5, except Boston went 21 for 31 on the free throws and left a lot of points on the table. So um, for me, it's it's not falling in love with the three ball and, and staying aggressive and, and going after Golden State, and hopefully you, you get some calls and you get to the foul line. From a player prop perspective, uh, I noticed that Jason Tatum's point total actually ticked up going into this game, I guess, uh, thinking that the the Celtics will have a bounce-back performance. Steph Curry coming off of the subpar shooting night. Would you expect him to be much better and possibly exceed his point total? Yeah, it's a tough one. It all depends on what they roll out. If they go with this drop-back coverage on screens and they let Curry fire at will, uh, I think he's going to have a big night. If they uh, if they if they play like they did in the last game, where they pick him up the second he comes over half, they're inside his shorts, uh, they're hedging hard on on those high screens and getting their heels above the three point line. Then you know I would look this like Clay Thompson and stuff like that, who's who's playing over the last five quarters of basketball. He's played his best and looked his best since before the the Achilles and the knee injuries. So I, I'm I'm looking at Clay Thompson's point total in this one. Uh, it opened twenty and a half. It's already been bet up to twenty one and a half. Um, but I like I like the way he's playing basketball. I love the way he's playing defense. Played great defense in Game Five. Picked up a couple steals. Had some good uh, good defensive stands as well too. So I've been looking, you know, maybe some of those steals markets. Um, and it, obviously the Boston turnover issue is a big thing too. So 
Um, could see them playing them maybe a little bit careful, not wanting to have those turnovers. But uh, I, I, a lot of eyes on Clay Thompson props for me. Uh, you got to imagine Steph Curry is going to want to hit some threes early uh, to erase that 0 of 9 and not making a 3 for the first time in 233 straight games. Uh, maybe a Steph Curry three-pointer prop? Um, perhaps. I, I think everyone's expecting him to go. I'm not sure what that number's at right now. Expect everyone to come back. I played his over on assists knowing that Boston was going to have to do something. To shake him like they weren't be they weren't gonna they couldn't just go into game five and play in the same way they had the past four games and because of that he was able to distribute a little more I know his his assist totals have been out there around four and a half and five Dallas had a similar approach to him in the uh, Western Finals that they played very very aggressive and turned him into a passer and he was he was a huge facilitator over the uh, the last three games of that series so I, I might I might shy away in his three point prop thinking everyone's going to jump on that and it's maybe a little bit padded. Um, and continue to look at his assist um, at his assist totals because you have guys like Clay that is coming on. You have Wiggins that's coming on. Jordan Poole, Draymond Green had a great offensive game as well too. So it uh, kind of seems like everyone else is getting in rhythm uh, where they weren't so much through those first few games. What about your feeling on the total? Uh, I've been consistently riding the second half unders in mm. these games. Um, yep. Look at the fourth quarters, the last three games, 49, 47, 34 points. So, you know, if the, looking at the game total and just the predictive number of the second half around 104, anything north of that, 105, 107 and a half, 108 like it was last game, uh, I'll gladly jump on a second half under. Any feel for the totals yeah it's 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 tough with those second half totals and it's really been a tale of two halves in this series if you look at the first halves they've been very plotting a lot of low scoring games and then they tend to kind of or sorry it's been a very fast pace in the first half uh, a lot of scoring and then as you said things kind of slow down there's adjustments made on defense game five was kind of the opposite it was very very plotting just 90 combined points out of the break and then the pace rating shoots up to 100 and they put up 108 points um for me, I like I, I like the over overall in this game. It's down as low as two hundred nine and a half, which is the lowest total we've seen in this one. As I said, I expect the referees to maybe get a little more involved. They have been too quiet almost through those first four games. They get a little more active. There was forty four personal fouls called in game five, which is above the average of thirty seven fouls per game in the series. There was forty six free throw attempts taken, uh, and the four games prior had only thirty five total free point. Uh, free throws taken. So there's a lot of points potentially being scored with the clock stopped and that's kind of bread and butter for over. So I'm, I, I bet over in game five, I'm betting over again in game six. Yeah. I don't necessarily hate it. Um, I might look at a first half over um, and, and see if we can jump on it that well, way. Well, For, for me and for the warriors, it doesn't matter how they do it. Like they're doing it in multiple different ways. Like mm-hmm. they, they score buckets. They can score points off turnovers. They can score putbacks. They're putting up about 105 points per game. And if you think Boston being the favorite in this game is going to beat them. They got to score 106. Yeah, that's a great so point. So they're automatic. Automatically, you're over the total at that point. So that I think for this game, they've got to score uh, 106 points or more. And if we look at the two games that they won, they put up 120, 116. They have to get this offense going, and they have to get the offense going really early on. I like the over in the first quarter. Uh, we've seen a lot of production in first quarters before 43 points in the first quarter in Game Five. They put up 55, 55, 61, and 60 in first quarters. Defense didn't even show up in those 12 minutes. The pace rating was like uh, 99.5. Scored a lot of buckets early on. I think the Celtics got to come out swinging. The energy in Beantown is going to be crazy. So I like the over 
Yeah, most places have it 53 and a half. You can get 52 and a half out there for a little extra vig, but uh, I like the over first quarter in game six. Uh, I like it as well. Good stuff, Jason. I appreciate your time as always. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome and enjoy the game. Hopefully it's a burn burner. I hope so too. He's Jason Logan from Covers. I'm Scott Seidenberg. This is The Look At here on VSIN, the sports betting network. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare